This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show that explores how the people of that disappeared country remember and imagine their former homeland. I'm your host, Peter Korchnak. Today's episode of Remembering Yugoslavia will feature my first look at Yugoslav socialist monuments and memorials, which have been drawing quite a lot of attention in the West over the past decade or so. From coffee table books to countless Instagram posts to feature articles in major media outlets and travel blogs, the futuristic World War II monuments and memorials, known in a singular as Spomenik, along with brutalist and modernist architecture across the former Yugoslav republics, fascinate tourists, journalists, and scholars alike. Here to launch my investigation of these vestiges of Yugoslavia is my guest, Sanja Horvatincic, a postdoctoral researcher at the Institute of Art History in Zagreb, Croatia. Despite being born in 1986, just five years before the country's breakup, Yugoslavia has shaped Sanya's personal and professional life in a fine example of how an inner journey, a microhistory, if you will, tracks the outer journey, a macrohistory. Sanya studies modernist memorial sculpture and architecture, the production of history through cultural practices in socialist Yugoslavia, and the contemporary potential of Yugoslav memorial structures and concepts. In her 2017 dissertation, she developed a typology of memorials from the socialism era in Croatia. She is the co-editor of a book on the digital history of art and architecture and of an upcoming volume on the memorial production in socialist Yugoslavia. And she was an expert advisor for the 2018 exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art called Toward a Concrete Utopia, Architecture in Yugoslavia, 1948-1980. What's interesting about Sanya is not just the object of her study, the Yugoslav socialist monuments, but also how she studies them, her methodology. Throughout our conversation at her office last winter, I became fascinated with how the kinds of questions you ask about your object of study influence the methods of that investigation, which in turn impact the narrative you build around the findings. So I wanted to see where these things are and how they function in uh, landscape, how they function in, in the communities where they are. In other words, questions that are rarely asked in the popular discourse of these monuments. She's also critical of the fetishization on the global level that's has nothing to do with actually understanding the social purpose or the political purpose of those of those monuments. And finally, we'll talk about functional socialist architecture and post-war modernism in the former Yugoslavia. It's uh, nothing else than um, uh, somehow being able to uh, create architecture or arts that is uh, directed forward and that, that is inspired by this moment or by the future moment and not by the past. Uninformed bloggers, the former president of Croatia, and a weird dream also make an appearance. Dr. Sanja Horvatincic, what were the sources of your motivation to study the Yugoslav socialist monuments? I studied art history and English language and literature at the Faculty of Philosophy. And I was always attracted by um, topics that are crossing the disciplinary limits of art history in different ways. And then I was directed in a way towards a topic that's under-researched or almost completely at that time unknown. Very soon after I started researching it, began began a sort of an obsession. And uh, it opened many questions regarding of how to even approach this kind of topic using the traditional methods or the methods that are usually used in my discipline. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, you had this very sudden interest in Eastern Europe. I mean, it, it began already, of course, after the, the so-called fall of the wall, but then it had different phases. And in this 2000s and the turning uh, of 2000s, 2010s, it began uh, to, to look into the, some sort of peculiar 
remnants of the old East. So it became, became it seems to me, more of a, like an old uh, colonial gaze into the East. I don't want to say that this all began with blogosphere, but it uh, definitely was a very strong mo- motive. I was kind of even upset, <laughs> I must say, with the with this kind of ed- attitude and with this kind of perspective. It's interesting to look at how it transformed from this viral online culture, media culture, from blogs and uninformed uh, blog articles and uh, people discussing uh, in forums and in social media, to to basically to the highest uh, level of institutional art history, art uh, history of architecture. So MoMA, for example, the exhibition in MoMA was um, definitely the result in one part of uh, of that of sensing you know this kind of interest that's that was uh, possible to to detect even in in the US according to the MoMA website the exhibition Sanya references toward a concrete utopia quote introduces the exceptional work of socialist Yugoslavia's leading architects to an international audience unquote to explore quote large scale urbanization technology in everyday life consumerism monuments and memorialization and the global reach of yugoslav architecture unquote. the exhibition included more than 400 drawings models photographs and film reels from an array of municipal archives family held collections and museums across the region i'll dedicate a future episode of remembering yugoslavia to this important exhibition of course it was not only that but it was also the result of the uh, the research that was done by a number of scholars many of them who emigrated and lived uh, in the US from former Yugoslavia who continue to do research on their former land or former homeland and uh, who also insisted for various reasons but very often also political or uh, ideological reasons uh, to affirm or to somehow present um, the cultural production and artistic production of that specific national formation <laughs> of the second half of the 20th century it was Yugoslavia to what extent has your early personal life growing up amidst this architecture maybe taking trips with parents or schools influenced your study none of people from my family were nationalists but like i always knew that i'm from croatia which is part of yugoslavia but I do remember my first political question to my mother was, Mom, which country do we live in? Because we were watching TV and the uh, war was about to start. So they were obviously talking about Croatia, Yugoslavia, and these were the key words. And I, I was confused, obviously. And she said Yugoslavia. So I don't really know exactly when it was happening, but it might be that, you know, Yugoslavia already fell apart, but somehow it was the easiest answer <laughs> or... Maybe she wanted us to live in Yugoslavia still, I don't know. But I do remember that from my childhood, the strongest memory is actually the war. Although I was personally and my family were not affected directly by war. But it was everywhere in the media and it was some kind of a catastrophe and some kind of a negative social political atmosphere that kind of continued all the way through my teenage years and so on. So I was too young to be uh, misled by this promise of neoliberal uh, ideas that maybe a generation of my parents was. I think they were kind of like really believing that once we just break, quit with socialism, we enter capitalism and then we have all the beautiful stuff and so much money. And and I do remember also this kind of very funny uh, things like people uh, starting to smuggle 
some kind of luxury uh, quote unquote uh, goods from the west in big amounts you know like even some people from my family would like buy these plastic glasses with some from the US or from Germany I don't know and they sell them you know it was like the beginning of 90s some very very interesting kind of idea that people could become you know entrepreneurs and businessmen <laughs> in that way so this is my my memory of uh, actually of fall of the fall of Yugoslavia of this kind of like absurd atmosphere well my Memories of Yugoslavia and of, I would not even say Yugoslavia, but of socialist Yugoslavia, socialism, is mainly, you know, the whole infrastructure of my life. Not only uh, physical, like the building that was built by my grandfather in the 50s, who was a plumber and uh, who could come in 45 to Zagreb with no education to get educated, to get a, like a proper job. And to have a family life with the, uh, he, my grandmother was, uh, she didn't work. And they had two daughters, uh, both of whom finished faculty. And my mother also finished PhD. So it's like this kind of like welfare, uh, the idea of, you know, the social standards and going up the social ladder quite radically is something that defined my life, obviously, as well. Another thing is also that emancipation, I can talk about, a little bit about that, like women's emancipation, because my mother was a single parent and she was able to, you know, like work and uh, to raise me and to live normally and not to be uh, discriminated and to uh, actually enjoy more of a, like a support, social support uh, than she would today. Mm, so all of, this, all of these things are kind of like things that define me and that were actually things that Yugoslavia was made of. And then architecture and arts is something that just went along this, along the way, you know, like I was not, never really fascinated by architecture that I lived, uh, lived with, or not as much as people who come to MoMA are, you know, like with the concrete skyscrapers or concrete buildings because it, because it was, it's everywhere. But I, I think that this is also some kind of strange, strange exotization because it's also, you know, you have the same type of buildings in, in Paris and in, I don't know, in, <laughs> in some parts of USA. I was also always surrounded with uh, some certain level of design um, and arts, you know, the culture of uh, exhibitions, of free programs that are available. And this is actually something that continued, I would say, even today, to some extent. Uh, but this is also the legacy, legacy of that system and that you are kind of close to the artistic production. And it's not something exceptional. It's not something that you are like, wow, that you consider as some kind of very high, uh, high cultural standard. In hindsight, it seems almost inevitable that Yogurt Gate would come up in a conversation with the Croat. It's not possible or it's very difficult to historicize, to put something in the canon that's still actually alive. Because Yugoslavia is very much as a concept, as both a socialist idea, ideas are very much alive. And this is why Yugoslavia is also the biggest enemy of the current political order. You know, you have the president of Croatia who keeps saying in the public speeches, in international public speeches, about how horrible it was in the 80s and how horrible it was before the democratic changes and how she couldn't, like this is literal uh, quote, how she couldn't choose between different types of yogurt. So the motivation to tell this kind of things in 2019 
in an international context is obviously that you are kind of worried that this will happen again or that you are kind of afraid that people would think that in Yugoslavia they actually lived better. So you have to remind them that there were only white one type of yogurt. <laughs> But also maybe remind them uh, that they had uh, social security, you know, healthcare and things like that. So, But the, this this kind of struggle with, with the fan- phantom, uh, with the specter of Yugoslavia is quite fascinating, really. It's, it tells It tells a lot. The legacy Sanya is talking about has to do with why and how these monuments were built. After the 1948 split with Stalin's Soviet Union, Yugoslavia embarked on its own path of building a unique form of socialism. That freedom from the diktat of both Western and Eastern colonial powers freed Yugoslavia's popular culture and architecture to, well, do its own thing in between the two blocks. With artists and architects afforded a degree of freedom that was unprecedented for socialist countries, Monumental art steered away from classic forms like obelisks and uh, statues toward modernist, super-creative, contemporary, future-oriented forms that we now admire as something out of science fiction. And it is that Western gaze that bothers Sanya. So um, the value of this thing that is now being added uh, from the West is something that's not really part of how it was uh, valued during the socialist period. Because in that period... It was part of the normal everyday life and this was not supposed to be so fetishized. It was supposed to be functional and maybe even changed. But somehow, this is what I have uh, also like my impression, especially uh, regarding monuments, that at this moment they are kind of stuck in between this or like in this schizophrenic situation in between, you know, like this complete political and social, uh, but mostly political denial, erasure on the local level. And then on some sort of fetishization on the global level that has nothing to do with actually understanding the social purpose or the political purpose of those monuments. So they are somewhere in between. How did your approach to studying the Yugoslav socialist monuments change over time? What are the advantages of your methodology versus the traditional approaches? From the beginning, I was thinking of doing, you know, uh, formal analysis or maybe some kind of like a cultural uh, approach to uh, these huge uh, sculptures, like monumental sculpture that's so kind of specific for Yugoslav context because it appears kind of early on already on the paper uh, in ideas already in the 50s, but then it's produced massively during the 60s in these like 30 meter high um, abstract forms uh, that uh, fascinate still everyone who sees them. But then I decided to do a lot of field work because I'm kind of skeptical about theory. So I wanted to see where these things are and how they function in uh, landscape, how they function in, in the communities where they are. And then I kind of changed, uh, this, this was like the, the, crucial, uh, the crucial moment of change because then I also became uh, an anthropologist and an archaeologist and, you know, a uh, sociologist because I was forced to kind of make sense of what uh, these things and these structures mean, except for their formal uh, characteristics. All of this was happening in the middle of the um, continuous struggle over history or struggle over memory that defined the fall-up of Yugoslavia, especially in Croatia, and in the context in which these monuments and these places of memory, although many of them are actually dedicated to the victims, to the civilian victims, 
they became no places or places that are supposed to be forgotten. And new traditions, new memory uh, narratives uh, were supposed to be followed and, and imagined in, in a way. So uh, I was also kind of doing a counter-hegemonic thing, you know, so coming to the villages and coming to the places, because many of these monuments are somewhere in the, in the rural areas, you kind of need to also explain, ask people and explain why you do this. And while you explain to them why you do this, you, you kind of answer for yourself you're kind of making sense of it. And then you realize that it's actually the most important thing that you're doing is actually social and political because you're affirming something that means a lot to those communities and that is on the official level uh, supposed to be forgotten. So in that way, I also wanted to find a way to uh, research as many monuments as possible. And I did not want to limit myself on uh, some you know, exceptional examples that would honor only the big grand narratives, like the big battles or the big ideas, but also like very local memory. So I decided, so I made a made a, some kind of a plan that, that fit very well into uh, my uh, discipline uh, to make like a survey, to make a catalog, to make like a big, you know, amount of these monuments to see what they were actually. And how, you know, you have this whole wide uh, variety from the very local, small uh, type of like uh, amateur uh, monument to this very big, exceptional example. And I wanted to relate this the diversity of production with the way that the society remembered the war and how, you know, who was actually doing the memory work, who was involved and who was uh, supposed to define the, aesthetic, uh, the aesthetics of this memory as well. And in which way people responded to, the, to, to those novel, uh, innovative concepts of uh, monuments. In a very like old school, uh, you know, Vienna school kind of formalist approach to arts, as is still the case uh, mainly at the Faculty of Philosophy here, and they expect to do, you know, masterworks. And then basically, how you deal with masterpieces in the field of memorial <laughs> art is that you dissociate object, art object, with their meaning, <laughs> especially if it's. Uh, abstract it's perfect you know because then you can just actually talk about this uh, this sculpture as something that's um, explaining inner motivation of the artist that can be compared to other examples in uh, European context and things like that but that, that doesn't really contextualize the production of that of that very object in terms of capacity to invest public money into that uh, that kind of things and to invest you know the workforce actually to build those monuments but then also in uh, in relation to the um, uh, reception of how you know rural societies ru rural uh, communities actually responded to this kind of quite invasive in many cases modernists and quite quite arrogant uh, modernist uh, approach i just want to see them as they were and not only as they were towards the highest level politicians or highest level artists but also how they were to the majority of the people and what they presented by looking at this diversity by looking at the whole uh, array of practices throughout the three, four decades in the territory of Yugoslavia, although I was more focused on, on Croatia, uh, you, you could see how memorial forms really depended a lot on different ways of memory practices that were socially conditioned or also economically conditioned. So I was looking uh, both at, uh, at this, like, let's say, background 
uh, of the production of uh, monuments and looking at their formal characteristics and trying to connect, connect these two things. For me, personally, what was very important is actually to go very deep into certain chosen examples. So to develop new uh, methodological approach to these sites and to understand these sites not only as uh, places where you have a monument that was built in 65, for example, but as a space that has numerous layers and uh, that can um, comprise uh, the experience. And it's also very much dependent on how people who live or who care or not care about those sites and those memories, how they, how they deal with these monuments. The most recent and still ongoing project where Sanya applies this bottom-up approach investigates the heritage of the Yugoslav partisan struggle on one specific monument. Sanya leads an international interdisciplinary research team in fieldwork around Drežnica, a village in the mountains near the Adriatic coast where they identify, document and analyze the archaeological site, historical artifacts, objects, landscapes and the memories of the locals in order to form a memorial landscape. It's a monument dedicated to a hospital, a partisan hospital that functioned for two years from 42 to 44 in the middle of the mountain. And it's a very uh, fascinating story. It's also obviously a monument. It's a monument dedicated to the specific uh, historical event. And it's obviously dedicated to the event that was supposed to be remembered after uh, the Communist Party of Yugoslavia won the war uh, and the anti-fascists. But it was also, and this is how the monument is designed, it is also a universal story because the monument is not uh, replicating these uh, wooden huts because those were like uh, small wooden huts in the middle of the woods with all the facilities they, that you need for a hospital. He didn't, did not want to replicate them, but he, he was an architect. And he wanted to make reminiscence, some kind of uh, a lasting uh, structure that would indicate where this thing was and what, what was the purpose of this community. And uh, it's a fascinating place because you're in the middle of nowhere and the uh, signs and the letters fell out or were stolen. So you don't even have the information anymore, but you're well, very well aware that you are somewhere where there was a shelter and uh, that you can take your shelter there again. And then when you do field work there for a while, then you realize that this is the, the so-called migrant route today and that people actually are still looking for a shelter and there's on, on those very same places. So this monument, you know, that now becomes something else also. After the break, socialist apartment buildings and chairs as an architectural fetish. Get early access to future episodes of Remembering Yugoslavia by becoming a member on Patreon at patreon.com slash rememberingyugoslavia. Aside from the World War II monuments, Yugoslavia's legacy can be seen in functional architecture, apartment blocks, educational institutions, government buildings, which too fascinate the social media types to no end. And unlike the monuments, many of which stand neglected or were damaged or destroyed, some 3,000 in Croatia alone by prevailing estimates, these buildings continue to shape the built environment in the former Yugoslav republics, omnipresent and indestructible in some way. Uh, I think that the legacy, the most important legacy of the socialist Yugoslavia in terms of what it meant to be in that kind of a multinational uh, state was a very good recipe to coexistence in this area. 
Uh, although it might sound contradictory because we, you, in the West, everyone knows that it fell uh, apart in, the, in this bloody war. But before the nationalist tendencies that brought the war, uh, to, the, to the war, it really was like the best period uh, in the whole history of this area where you had... Uh, some some kind of political uh, recipe to keep people peaceful and then to keep them cooperate, although uh, despite the ethnic uh, differences and how this was achieved, it was achieved by giving people a good standard of living or giving them a better standard of living and to secure a normal life for the majority of the people. And I think that like these kind of structures that were made for mass housing, that were made for, you know, a lot of people, of course, came to the cities, uh, the industrialization, all of these processes that happened during the 50s, uh, 40s already, but then 50s, uh, especially, you know, Zagreb grew so much in that very short period of time. And then you had like this, this mass of people living together and being able able to to move to better uh, social conditions this is actually the what this can remind us of what this is like constantly reminding us of that it was it was actually possible and that this also produced certain positive social effects and then as soon as you had economic crisis as soon as you had a global economic crisis and then also of course yugoslav and uh, eastern uh, eastern european then uh, this kind of you know the old uh, animosities uh, were very easily flamed up and very easily you could kind of uh, again destroy this this potent community Unity. So I'm talking a lot about <laughs> uh, about society, not so much about architecture, because I think that architecture is basically, you know, a reflection of what society is at certain moments. Sanya's office, where we spoke, is located at the building formerly known as the Workers' University, a prime example of modernist architecture with straight lines, airy hallways, lots of glass and steel. Yes, it's a very interesting uh, building. The idea was to have a special facility where workers could come and uh, and should come and get uh, education, get uh, cultural programs and get somehow in touch for the first time, many of them, with current contemporary culture and a new standard. This is how the, the architecture is also following the uh, following the idea of, of the program that was uh, supposed to take place inside. So it's very basic, simple, uh, functional, but very good design. Also interesting for this building is that it was made as an inclusive, you know, it's a, it's a whole package. You have architecture from the start, also works with an, um, the product designer who designs all of these uh, furniture, chairs, and this kind of, you know, design objects that are uh, usually fetishized in the West as something very luxurious. And here you had not exactly maybe this building, but there are some chairs because, you know, the chair, the chair is always like this architectural fetish of like you know, this very expensive types of chair. And every architect needs, needs to make his own, the big architect needs to make its own chair. So we have these chairs uh, everywhere. <laughs> some of them were in the garbage, but they were um, really very good design for that period. The Workers' University building was conceived as part of a row where other educational buildings still stand. The Faculty of Engineering, the Faculty of Philosophy. And then in the, at the end of it, close to Sava River, uh, you have uh, the Central Committee of Communist Party of Croatia building. And that building is like super modern for the, you know, like super like international style modernist. And this is something, uh, this is uh, interesting to uh, to observe of how the 
political elite actually wanted to present itself. While in the 90s, for example, when you had the change of the system, what you have is leaving that, you know, abandoning that building, although it's more functional and everything is better, and going back to the like 19th century old houses, <laughs> reinventing the the tradition of some horseman, and you know, so you're going back in the period when national ideas were invented. And I think this is very visible through architecture. And on that, on those simple examples, you can you can, and then you can talk about the schools and all, all sorts of public infrastructure that was envisioned at the time as something that was supposed to offer more uh, wider horizons. I would say it's uh, nothing else than um, uh, somehow being able to uh, create architecture or arts that is uh, directed forward and then that is inspired by this moment or by the future moment and not by the past. And I think that now we again live in this kind of surplus of the past and we're also looking again, like we are doing now, we are actually looking at the modernism <laughs> that's actually 50 or 60 years ago as something that's kind of inspiring. As I travel through ex-Yugoslavia, Monuments and memorials become markers of my journey. The big, spectacular, futuristic ones you see all over the digital space that commemorate big battles in which thousands perished. The unassuming ones adorned with a five-pointed red star in village centers, at crossroads, at edges of forests, where one or two or a handful of partisans gave their lives for freedom. The ones with wreaths and bouquets withering in the elements since the most recent commemoration ceremony. The ones that crumble into the ground with concrete tears. Wherever it is, and whatever state it's in, I now look at each monument with a different lens, asking different questions. What does the monument commemorate? What memory does it keep alive? Does anyone remember those events or the monument's construction and the new reality it ushered into the local life? How does the monument fit into its surroundings? How do the locals interact with it? And who remembers the monument itself? I walk to my rented apartment in Zagreb, in Banja Luka, in Belgrade, in Sarajevo, in Pula, in uh, anywhere Yugoslavia really, and a dream I had recently follows me like a shadow. As I approach, I inspect the block apartment building and notice the residence turned into a spomenik. I turn around and there's an actual monument which, as I swing towards it, turns out to have been converted into a living quarters, with people residing inside it and underneath it and on top. I keep turning around in a loop between the structures the apartment building come memorial, the memorial come apartment building, and soon can no longer distinguish where the block ends and the spomenik begins, and the block begins and the spomenik ends. Find everything referenced in this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, including links, photos, and videos in the show notes at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. Subscribe and listen to Remembering Yugoslavia on your favorite podcast listening app. Some good news here, Spotify is now available across the Balkans. Support the building of Remembering Yugoslavia's monumental future on Patreon at patreon.com slash rememberingyugoslavia. Transcript by Zorica Popovic. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric. Additional music by No Sense, licensed under Creative Commons. Special thanks to Rebecca Schlesinger. I am Peter Korchniak. Bok. Bok.